0: Hey friends, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor here at Transformation Church. I want to personally welcome you to our podcast. At TC, we exist to see people transform from who they are to who God wants them to be. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, I hope today's message inspires you to take one step closer to Christ. Good morning, good morning, TC. What's up? Hey, welcome, welcome. Especially if you're a first-time guest joining us today, we want to say welcome to you and our online audience. We welcome you today and we're getting ready for a, What we as Christians celebrate is one of the greatest moments in the resurrection of Jesus as we come upon the Easter. And uh, how many is thankful for a resurrected Savior? You know, we're the only quote-unquote religion out there that's celebrating a God that's alive. The rest of them are worshiping one that's dead. Ours is alive. Come on, somebody. How many really, really believes that? Amen. And uh, it's an honor to be here today. I'm Dan Lewis, and I'm the guy over there that pastors here's father. If you're a first time, that's his mom on the front row. If you love his preaching, I had something to do with it. If you haven't sure yet, his mom's part of it. But, uh, <laughs> but no, nah, we're very proud of Pastor Brad. He's, as you know, he's been very ill, and we as a staff encourage him to take today off because we want him 100% next week for Easter Sunday. And, uh, and I want you to get your cards out. Invite. Listen, the next Sunday is a Sunday that people will come to church that won't come the rest of the year. I don't care what you do. And so get your invite cards, get out there this week, and let's pack this place out for three services next Sunday. Not so we can say we have three-packed services, so that we can see many, many more lives coming to the kingdom for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to start today is what's called Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday before Easter, celebrating the resurrection. If you'll get your notes out. Palm Sunday is uh, the time of the year that we celebrate the triumphant entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem, and it's found in all four Gospels, but we're going to read out of Matthew chapter 21, and it says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest of heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. I want to talk to you today on what kind of king is this. You see, he came knowing. The people of Jerusalem had no idea what was about to take place. But Jesus, being flesh, but yet the Son of God, knew that there was in one time, in a one-week span, in seven days, he was going to enter Jerusalem And he was gonna be dead and resurrected in seven days. He knew when he came on a cold as a peaceful, humble savior, that he was about to be illegally tried seven times. He knew his beard was going to be plucked from his face. He knew he was gonna be buffeted with open and closed fists. He knew that his back was gonna become scourged with a whip that had metal and glass tied to the end of it. He knew that he was gonna be hung on a cross and he would have a spear thrust into his side. He knew that he was gonna to breathe his last breath and he was going to die on an old rugged cross as a naked human being humiliated in front of the world but he also knew that he had already proclaimed that no man takes my life but I lay it down freely and if I lay it down freely I will take it up again he knew there was a death about to face him but he also knew there was a dynamic resurrection that was about to take place that was going to allow him to come back to this earth alive and fulfill the purpose of his father his life and that was to redeem a lost mankind back to a gracious and heavenly father who loved us so much that he was willing to send his only begotten son to an earth that he would suffer such a horrendous death and yet through that death and resurrection you and I could sit here in Transformation Church today on Palm Sunday and say I am redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I have been bought and purchased back by an amazing Savior. And so I want to talk to you. Today, about this king. You see, when he showed up, he showed up with no bodyguards, he had no media, he had no limo, he had no hype. He was a suffering savior that came in a humble spirit on a cult to represent peace to restore you and I. What kind of king would do this? One that's on a mission, one that had a purpose. First of all, let's look, Christ, he presented the law. When he came, he presented the law. He presented the purpose of Christ, why he came. We see it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 to 11. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearances of man, he humbled himself to becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He came on a call in humility. He came as a servant to die. And in these passages of scriptures, the Apostle Paul shows us seven steps that Jesus took downward to come to this earth. But immediately we see where God takes him up seven steps. He says, Therefore, God, His Father, exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, and that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This passage is the number one passage of scriptures today that scholars still cannot wrap their heads around. There's still so much dialogue and discussion. This passage of scripture, how does the Son of God, how does Jesus Christ himself leave the riches of heaven and come down and become mortal man that he would die, leave it all so that he could come and die a suffering death so that lost mankind could be restored back to a heavenly father. How does a man a king do this why would Jesus the son of God leave heaven and die he came with a purpose number one he came to bring salvation to you and I from the penalty of our sin Isaiah the prophet declared it like this I have swept away your offenses Jesus said like a cloud your sins like the morning mist return to me for I have redeemed you. Anybody in here thankful that Jesus came and paid an ultimate price that he could just look. Anybody got a record that maybe not in the court of Escambia County, though some in here have a pretty good one there. We have an attorney here shaking his head. Yes. Okay. That we have a record in, in court, whether spiritual or physical, but how many thankful that there was a King in heaven that one day obeyed the will of his father and he left the riches of heaven and he came to earth and became poor and he became a man who gave Gave his life on an old rugged cross through a horrible buffeting and beating and death. And he did it not only so he could save us, but he did it so that he could free us not only from our sin, but he could free us from the penalty of our sin. Listen to me today. He not only took away my sin, but I don't have to pay for my sins for the rest of my life. He said, I have swept them away like the the wind would blow away the mist of the dew. I have blown away the penalty of your sin. Come on, somebody. The Apostle Paul put it like this in Galatians 3 Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. What for is written, Curses everyone who hangs on a tree. Can I tell you this today? Anybody got some generational stuff going on in your family? I mean, there's some stuff that you've had to deal with. Can I go ahead and declare to you today, when Jesus died on that cross, when he gave up his breath, when he took upon the sins of mankind upon himself, not only did he free us from the penalty of our sin, but he frees you from the curse of your ancestors that the enemy has tried to continually torment you you with that has told you you'll never be this because of that, but when Jesus hung on that cross, when he died, he said, I have destroyed not only your sin, not only the penalty of your sin, but I've also destroyed the curse of your sin. Alcohol does not have to own you anymore. Addiction does not have to own you anymore. Hate does not have to own you anymore. Low self-esteem does not have to own you anymore. When this great king left the riches of heaven, he came with a purpose, and it was to free free you from your sin but also to relieve you from the curse of the ancestors that have gone before you whom the sun sets free is free indeed come on let's shout a shout of praise in this house this morning he not only came to free us from the penalty of our sin but he came to bring salvation from the practice of sin 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 said, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. You can throw this little slogan. See, we want to excuse our, our mortal being that, well, everybody sins. You don't have to sin anymore. Now, anybody besides me still mess up? Okay? Anybody still got some junk in the trunk? Come on now all right? But he didn't just free us from sin, he came and freed us from the practice of sin. Look at what he said, it's in the Bible, it's in the Word. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. I don't wake up on Monday morning and go, am I going to be a Christian today? Am I going to be able to overcome sin today? Am I going to be able to overcome my struggles today? I don't wake up on Monday and have that conversation with myself or the devil. God's already taken care of that through the penalty and the price that his son paid on Calvary for you. That decision was made when you said yes to Jesus. And he said, I've freed you from the penalty of your sin, but I've also freed you from your practice of sin, and now you can walk in the righteousness of God. You know what righteousness, one of the definitions there, is the ability to do what's right without even thinking about it. Because now I'm not walking in my righteousness, I'm living in his. He came to free us from the penalty of sin, to free us from the practice of sin. But then he came for another reason. He came to expose the leaves. He came with a purpose free us from the penalty of sin, free us from the practice of sin. But he came to expose the leaves. And I'm getting ready to move us to Easter here, all right? And that's called plastic Christianity. Because you see, Jesus, when he entered that city, the saints in the temple that were in love with Jesus this is wonderful, this is awesome. This is great. The Savior is here. Our Redeemer is here. They're waving willow branches and crying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King. They're having this emotional, spiritual, intimate moment as Jesus is writing to the city. Our King has come. But they had no idea the plan that was being set forth behind them by the religious leaders that he's here and we're going to kill him. Everything there wasn't beautiful like it appeared to be. And we see the story in Matthew 21, 18 and 19. Early in the morning as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. Say except leaves. He then said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately that tree withered and died. Why would Jesus curse A fig tree, because it didn't have figs. And the reason was this. He was trying to give us an example. We always used analogies. And so in those days, leaves and figs appeared at the same time. If there were leaves, there were figs. If there were figs, there were leaves. You didn't have one without the other. And when Jesus was hungry, he saw this fig tree with leaves, so he went up to it to eat, but there was no fruit there. And he cursed it, and it died, and there's reasons why. Number one, the leaves were deceptive. The leaves declared something that the tree didn't possess, like many churches and Christians. See, they they see us drive out of our driveway to go to church on Sunday morning, but then they watch us come in drunk on Friday night. It's called your neighbor's. And then we want to know why they want to come to our church with us. Jesus knew when he entered that city that there was some deception in the background that was going to take his life, but yet he came. He knew that everybody there wasn't in love with him, that there was a crowd that was going to kill him, but he still came. And you see, leaves declare that There's fruit there, a packed parking lot at Transformation Church, a great website, awesome programs, great music, a big crowd. Doesn't mean the presence of God is here. In many churches today, there's a big crowd and full parking lots and programs are awesome and people are showing up looking for life, looking for freedom, looking for hope. And they enter in and they find bigotry and hatred and jealousy and strife and they leave hurting worse than they did when they got there. That will never happen in this house because if we're the leaves, there's always going to be some fruit. You hear what I'm saying? We're always going to be some fruit in the house. He cursed it because it was deceptive. He cursed it because it was disappointing. Possessed no fruit, no love, no joy, no peace, no patience, no kindness, no goodness, no faithfulness, no good gentleness, no self-control. Possessed no anointing to destroy the yokes of the bondage in people's lives. He cursed it because it was deceptive. It declared what it didn't have. He cursed it because it was disappointing that people would go out of their way and make effort to look for hope. Looking for just a moment of hope, they would get up in their morning and drive to a church service saying, There's life there, there's love there, there's patience there, there's people that'll help me there. And they walked in the churches all across our nation for years and they found no love. They found no hope. They found no anointing that would destroy the yoke that was in their life, and they left disappointed. And what God was trying to show us here is that in this hour, in this moment, in this time, it's way too serious. He knew that there was a crowd behind the scene of religion that was going to try to take away the reason of his coming, and he exposed it immediately. And I want to say to you today, God cursed the hypocrisy of the tree. Its deception became its own destruction. And you can say whatever you want. My opinion is, and I, I don't think God brought COVID, but he uses things. And we've seen over a third of our churches across the nation close down. I'm not saying all of them, but I can tell you the majority of them needed to close down. Because having good church isn't changing our cities. It's not changing our world. It's not changing people's lives. We've got to have more than people. We've got to have people with fruit. We've got to have more than programs. We've got to have some fruit. We've got to have more than this. We've got to have some anointing in the house that when people walk in, they go, I don't understand this. I don't even know what he's preaching about. I didn't even hear that song, the words, but I felt something that I cannot explain. It's called the anointing of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I feel love coming from people that don't even know me, and yet they're shaking my hand, greeting me, offering me some coffee, taking my children back to a classroom. I feel like I'm part of a family, and I I don't even know anybody's name yet, but I feel like I'm at home. I feel like I'm where I belong. I I feel life here. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Jesus is saying, that's the tree that I'm looking for. If you've got the leaves, have the fruit. He came. You with me? He came on a purpose to bring salvation from the penalty of sin, from the practice of sin. He came to expose the leaves, the plastic Christianity but he came lamenting. He came lamenting a passion that cares. Luke 19, 41, 42, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He cried over it. He mourned over it, and he said, if you, even you, talking about the city, the people, had only known on this day What would bring you peace? If you had only known, he's weeping over the city, the people. If you had only known what brought you peace, but now because you wouldn't see, it's hidden from your eyes. He wept, number one, over the city. He wept over the city in Matthew 9, verse 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers And to his harvest spill, he wept over the city. Pastor Brad, last night he shared with the church or Friday night with our Dream Team meeting, and he shared the percentages of Christians and non-Christians and churchgoers and non-churchgoers in Escambia County. It was ripping my heart because my passion is the unsaved. I live to bring people to Jesus. My heart was just pounding back there as he was giving these numbers. Over 180,000 people, over half of Escambia County's population, by their own admittance, are not Christians. So good church is not enough. Because it's not that they don't go to church. The reality is they're going to hell. And we've lost that concept. We've lost that fault, the reality that my friends that don't believe in Jesus today, it's not that they don't go to church with me, they're going to hell. Jesus realized that and he began to weep. He began to cry. You see, we as Christians today, we've been distracted by the enemy. We dialogue, we discuss, and we debate over social issues, but when's the last time we wept over our city? Because until we find ourselves on our knees in prayer weeping over those that hate us, weeping over those that don't agree with us, weeping over those that don't look like us, weeping over those that think different than us, until we find ourselves looking past the differences of what we have and we see a person that's lost and going to hell and we begin to weep over that person's soul, we have no right to speak about anything until our heart is first operating in compassion for the soul and the eternity of that person. I had someone blast me this week because they they sent an article out of, of someone that I've been ministering to that failed miserably. It happened to be a pastor. We have a ministry called Pastor to Pastor, and it we reach out to falling and hurting pastors and their families and burnout pastors and tired pastors to bring healing and restoration, in. and we're working with one right now. And this person found out that I'm working with this person and they lit into me. Do you know what they've done? Do you know what they did? I don't even know how you would even want to sit in front of them. I would love to see them hung by their toenails until literally, is what she said. I'd rather see them hung by their toenails and watch them die. A Christian. And I responded back. Until you sit with that person and understand their journey, I don't condone one thing they've done. They're going to spend the rest of their life in prison. They're not getting away with what they've done, but they're a soul. They have an eternity. And God put me in their lives not to release them from what they've done, but to make sure that soul doesn't not only go to hell on earth, but go to hell in eternity. That I'm going to do everything I can do to reach that soul, to reach that wife, to reach those children, and to bring hope in the midst of something extremely dark and gloomy. And can I tell you today, until we stop looking through the, the lens of politics and social and economic issue, when we stop looking through the lens of others and we start looking through the eyes of Jesus... We will never fulfill his purpose on this earth. We will always be distracted by the other things. Not that these things don't matter, but we'll never fix them. We'll never have a voice in them until we first have the heart of Jesus in the midst of them. And Jesus' heart is not saying who's right and who's wrong. Jesus' heart is saying who's ready, who knows me. And he comes so that he would weep over the The body, the city, the loss, the hurting, the broken. He not only wept over the city, he wept over the church. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and part of verse 5, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first, your first love for me. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first again he wept over the church because the church lost its first love. How many remember when you first got saved? I always say you can tell old Christians from new Christians. You talk to old Christians, they're telling you everything they're doing for God. You talk to new Christians, they're telling you everything God's doing for them. Am I right? Well, don't raise your hand. Don't do that. All right. And God's saying, I, you've, you've lost your first love. And man, when Jesus came into our life, it was like, oh, my God, wow. I, I didn't know it could be like this. Oh, God did this in my life, and I know some of your stories, and you know mine. And we're all a walking testimony of the divine power and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and what He's brought us from and where we could be today without Him. And look where we are. We're exactly where the devil and many folks around our life said we could never be, aren't we? Come on, somebody. And it's all because of Jesus and who he is and what he's done in our life. And Jesus is saying, I remember how you thought about me all the time. You talked about me all the time. I was the foundation of everything that you did. But you've walked away from that. You've got comfortable with me and no longer am I the first love of your life. Other things take your place and you go to church on Sunday. But he said, I'm weeping over you because there's a day coming. I'm coming back. When I come back, I need to be your first love then too. And he wept over the city. He wept over the church. You see, we've got to once again see people not as pawns, not as tools to help us get where we want to be. We've got to see people as the very ones like us that Jesus came to die for and to give his life for. And together we make up what's called the body of Christ. And we realize the purpose and why he came. He came so he could free us, not only from the penalty, but from the practice of our sin. He came so that we could be so in love with him that when we walk out of this building on Sunday morning, there's something about us that makes us different than the people that surround us in the world. We don't talk like them. We don't do the things that they do. I know this is old-fashioned preaching, but I'm trying to get some of us right. We don't go everywhere they go. We don't practice everything they practice. There's something different about us because I don't want to offend my Jesus. I don't want to offend him. It bothers me when I hear pastors using the GD and the F-bomb. Come on, somebody, that bothers me. It offends the one who died for me, the one who saved me. It offends me when I read stories of pastors being found in drunken stupors and, and ministers and Christians out there. Come on, somebody, there's supposed to be something different about us. There's something different about who we are. We're not perfect. We're not judging condemning. But he came and he saved us and he said, I want you to come back to that first love that you had for me. You wouldn't do anything to offend me when you first met me. And we got to come back to that. But I want to go back to the beginning. Remember when we talked about when Jesus came on Palm Sunday, seven days before he was going to be resurrected? After he's gone through this horrible torture and killing, he came on a cult. He came as a humble savior, meek, representing peace. But the scripture tells us through the books of Zechariah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Revelation that the next time he comes is going to be totally different. The Bible says that the spirit of Antichrist is going to come. Now, I want to tell you, he's already here. The spirit of Antichrist owns Capitol Hill. It owns all lawmakers. It owns Hollywood. It owns our national media. It owns our schools and our streets. The spirit of Antichrist is here. But there's a moment that the Antichrist is going to come himself. The Bible tells us that he will come as a man of peace. He will appear to be the answer to all religious, political, and economical, and social problems of the world. Does anybody see this all fitting in place right now prophetically? He will sign a seven-year peace treaty with Israel, but will break it in three and a half years. He will gain absolute control over the Middle East. He will attempt to destroy Israel with great vengeance. The prophet Daniel said he will honor the gods of forces. He will come as a man of peace, but will quickly build the largest military force ever known to man to destroy the Jews of Israel. He will declare himself as God, set up an image of himself in the city of Jerusalem, and he will demand that everyone worship him. Those who refuse will have their heads cut off. This is all in Bible, folks. He will briefly rule over all the nations during the tribulation now, we don't know if we're out of here pre, mid, or post. We don't know where the tribulations are. I just know we're going to be out of here. Come on, somebody. When you get to heaven, it don't matter when it happens. But at this point, the rapture's is taking place, and you and I are in heaven. He's ruling the nations during this time frame, and he's going to pick one fight too many. Now, think about the earth when all the believers are gone. It's dark. It's evil. It's wicked. And Revelation tells us that one moment he's gonna pick one fight too many with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It says in verse 13:6, and he the Antichrist opened his mouth and blasphemed against God. To blaspheme his name in his tabernacle and them that dwell therein in heaven. He stands in the city of the holy place of Jerusalem. He dares to look up into the heavens and he begins to blast the God that you and I serve today. He begins to mock him. He speaks to the angels, the two-thirds of angels that remain faithful to God when Satan revolted and a third of the angels left with him. He mocks the angels and said, look, look where you would be today if you would have left with that third. You would be here with me we're ruling the earth we own the earth you could be here ruling it with me he blasphemes the God of heaven and God finally gets ticked God says man up son man up Jesus go get Abraham Isaac Jacob Joseph go get Moses Joshua and Aaron Go get the Ezekiel. Go get the Daniel. Go get the major prophets of old. Go get the minor prophets of old and get them to mount up. Go get Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go get Paul. Go get Timothy. Go get Peter and tell them to get ready to mount up. Go get the saints that are now celebrating heaven with us and tell them all to get ready to mount up. It's all in your Bible, folks. It's there. And the Bible says that God tells them get the armies of heaven ready because the Antichrist has already gathered millions of people from around the world into the valley of Megiddo and there they're ready to destroy the Jews of Israel but that same Jesus who came as a king on a colt, representing peace and a servant spirit now mounts up on a white stallion and behind him is the army of heaven and he comes down out of heaven and he comes down above the antichrist and above the army of the millions that have gathered to destroy the Jews of Israel. And the Bible said he opens his mouth. This is what's going to come in the future, my friend. He's going to open his mouth. And the Bible said his voice comes as a sword. And it destroys the armies of the millions that have come to destroy his people, the Jews of Israel. That's called the Battle of Armageddon. And the Bible says that the angel of heaven calls the birds of the world to come to the Valley of Megiddo. And there they're going to feast on the bodies of the millions that have been slain at nothing but the voice of God. The Bible says that the blood will be so uh, it will rise up in the valley and reach the bridle of a horse Uh, when you see the antichrist come to a point that he has no fear but to blaspheme the God of heaven God says that's enough here's what he did he told Jesus uh, get the army ready and those Christians that he's tormented those Christians that he's destroyed those Christians that he's come against uh, he said y'all get ready and this is us Uh, he said we're going to mount up uh, and we're going to come down with the son of God the king of kings uh, and Listen, we're gonna shut the mouth of the enemy once and for all. They don't end there. The Bible says Jesus is gonna come down after that battle's gone. He's gonna put his foot on the top of Mount of Olives. And if you've gone to Israel, the Mount of Olives is there outside the city of Jerusalem. There's the Mount of Olives. That's where Jesus prayed till the sweat became like blood for you and I. And on the Mount of Olives, there's the valley, the Kidron Valley. And then there's the eastern wall of the city of Jerusalem. And prophetic scripture says that Jesus is going to walk through that eastern wall and enter the temple that is now owned by the Muslims celebrating Allah. They took it away from the Jews. But what they did was the Muslims believed that Jesus is nothing but a rabbi. And rabbis are not allowed to enter cemeteries. So just in case he might be more than a rabbi, they built their cemetery in the valley of Kidron, separating the Mount of Olives from the eastern wall. Not only did they do that to keep the rabbi out, they enclosed the eastern gate. It's concreted over. It's filled with mortar. Just in case he might be more than a rabbi. But the Bible says that when he comes back, He opens his mouth. He destroys the armies of the Antichrist. He'll step his foot on the top of Mount of Olives. It's going to split in half. He's going to walk through the Kidron Valley. He's going to walk through that cemetery because he's not a rabbi. He's the son of God. He's the king of kings. Because you see, when he came down from heaven on that white horse, the Bible says across his robe, and upon his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. We already heard him say, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's gonna put that leg that has King of kings and Lord of lords on it. He's gonna to touch the Mount of Olives. It's gonna split in half. He's gonna walk through the Kidron Valley. He's gonna to come to that Eastern gate that's been cemented over. It's not the first wall he's walked through. He walked through one after his resurrection. He's about to walk through another one. He's going to walk through that wall. He's going to enter the temple. He's going to take over the temple. And the Bible said now he's going to rule and reign on this earth forever. We're about to enter into a thousand-year millennial reign that Jesus has taken over. The Antichrist and the false prophet have been slain. They're dead, and now you and I, are going to rule and reign on this earth in the peace of God that's my king I said that's my king I said that's my king I said that's my king king." what kind of king is this what kind of king that would come on a colt representing peace the same king that's going to come back on a white horse representing military power, and he's going to take you and I, and we're going to rule and reign with him forever and forever and forever. And I want to tell you today, folks, this isn't time for us to go to sleep. This isn't time for us to bow down to the world of powers. This isn't time for us to rest and go back. No, this is time for you and I to stand up, step up, and be the kingdom of God on this earth, to be the light in darkness, to be the voice where there's no voice, uh, to be a representation of the king. So we're coming into this thing called Easter. The question is, what are you doing to introduce this King Jesus to those that are around us? What are we doing? If we believe all of that and we really believe it, you can't shut us up. That's what the apostles told him when they threatened to put him in jail. They said, if you don't quit preaching you're going to jail. They said, Well, then lock us up. How can we butt? Preaching, if you put us in jail, we're going to start the biggest jail ministry you've ever seen around here. But you can't silence us. We know who he is, we know what he's done, we know what he's about to do. We know we're the head, not the tail. We know we're the victor, not a victim. We know when he paid that price on Calvary, I no longer have to live a slave to what I was, but I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus, my Lord. The old is gone. The new is here. I know who I am in Christ. We get to come and celebrate and who he is. So I want to challenge you today as we enter into Easter. Pastor Brad is going to bring a dynamic message next week about our resurrected Savior and I want to challenge you let's let's go out this week and let's let's spread the good news and let's, let's get as many people to hear that message as we can get but equal to that I want to challenge you let's go back to our first love let's go back to remember where we were like before Jesus met us before we had the honor to meet him let's go back and make a recommitment as we come into this Easter season that I am who I am because of him. I didn't know they were going to sing it. They didn't know what I was preaching on, but man, when they hit champion, you are my champion. Never lost a battle. Never going to lose one. How many of you will join me today and say, that's my king. Going to hold my head up high. That's my king. That's my Jesus. That's my Jesus. You don't talk that. No, 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 no. That's my Jesus. That, that's my King. That's my Savior. It's my Redeemer. That's my best friend. Don't go there. Don't go there. That's my best friend. Stand with me across this building. Maybe you're here. You say, Pastor Dan, today, I don't want to wait to Easter Sunday, but today... When I walked on these grounds, I felt the love of people. I didn't see just leaves, I I had fruit. There was fruit. I I felt love. I felt embraced. I felt like I mattered. In the worship today, I felt the anointing of heaven. I felt God's presence. Today, I realized that He's alive. He cares for me. He came to free me from the penalty of my sin and the practice of my sin. I don't have to live like this anymore. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you across this building or maybe online, you say, I need Jesus in my life. I'm not where I need to be. I'm not a bad person, but I'm just not right. I know I'm not right, and I know he's coming back. I know there's that time, and I want to be ready. I want to serve him. I want to know him. If that's you right now, would you just lift a hand right where you stand, and you can put it right back down. I'm not going to point you out. God bless you. I'm not going to come to you. I just want to pray a prayer for you. Anyone else? You'll join this one. I need Jesus in my life today. God bless you. Anyone else? I need him in my life today. Pray for me, Pastor. Pray for me. Across this building online, if you need Jesus in your life, pray this prayer with me. And congregation, pray it with me as we do it together. Say, dear Jesus, you said in your word, if I would come to you, confess with my mouth that you are Lord believe in my heart you raised the dead I can be saved so right now I come I confess I believe and I receive you as my Lord and Savior in Jesus name according to your word I'm saved I'm born again I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus my Lord amen amen Amen. Come on, let's celebrate with these that have prayed.